0: Well, I want to say I am so enjoying this series. This I know I say that every single series that I ever do, but I always mean it too. And every time that I'm getting in the Word of God and I am personally digging into it, I'm trying to bring truth out to bring to you, I am profiting, I am being blessed by God's Word, and I hope you are as well. And we're in this series looking through the names of God, mostly the names of God the Father. Two years ago in the summer, I did um, Summer in the Sun, S-O-N, and we focused on Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Lord willing, next summer we'll be doing the Holy Spirit. This summer, it is God the Father, and he has revealed a lot of his names through his word to us, and it's been really a joy unearthing those and really studying those together. So while we get going on that, I thought I would share this little story in my life as a way to get your mind around where we're going to go in this uh, message today. It wasn't too long ago. It was a week and a half ago. I took my two oldest sons and we went fishing with a a gentleman in our church, and I use that term very specifically because he is a gentleman. His name is Nick DeFranco. And Nick is our church's Jeremy Wade of the hit TV series, River monsters. The guy knows everything there is to know about fishing. And he takes us up to the Delaware River, up near the Belvedere Bridge. And before long, we're out in the water. The water's up to my hips, and he's got waders because he's not really as manly as the other three of us. And so we're out in the water, and, um, and all of a sudden Nick starts catching fish. And he catches a pretty, pretty good-sized fish, reels it in, takes it off the hook, and lets it go. I'm a catch-and-release guy. I don't even really like to eat fish, so I'm always catching and releasing or mutilating and releasing, if you like it that way. And then he takes it off the hook, puts it back in the water, and a few minutes goes by, and all of a sudden, his his rod is just bent like a U. And he brings in a fish even bigger. This one is huge. He brings it in, he takes it off, and he throws it back in the river. And my sons and I are just standing there looking at each other, praying that he stops catching fish and we start. All of a sudden, he gets his third fish. And this one's a smaller one, and he brings it in. And and this one is far smaller than the huge one, much smaller than the smaller of the huge ones. And he says, I'm going to keep this one. And I said to him, Nick, I don't understand. Why are you throwing the big ones back but keeping the small one? And his response to me was this. My frying pan is only 10 inches. (laughs) All of that was true except the end. But listen, I want you to think about about that for a moment. Now you ready? I'm going to apply that to this sermon. And what we need to start to do as the people of God when we come To God as He has made Himself known in His Word. Too often, listen, too often, the frying pan of our faith is too small and we forfeit opportunities that come into our lives to see God work in amazing ways. We just don't believe that God could do these things. We just have too small of an understanding of who God is. So the big things that God is doing or the big things that God wants to do won't fit into the fry pan of our faith and we end up passing by the miracles that we could be seeing. You see, this series, friends, it's designed to help you quit seeing the size of your frying pan, which I mean by that, your own abilities to make it through a life that you can manage. That's the frying pan. I want to, this series wants to bring us to a larger understanding to see how incredibly, infinitely deep and sufficient our God really is. And today's study on the name of El Shaddai is going to show us exactly that. So let's take even a brief moment. Let me sweep all of us in. Now you're either in a storm of life, which the Bible calls trials, or you're coming out of one, or you're going to head right back into one. Now listen, there's only three options. You're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go back into one. Because this life is difficult. know I met this weekend with a friend of mine who is struggling and it just seems like there is a perpetual struggle that he and his family they love the Lord but it's like you have to grab every inch of, of traction you can because they're getting beaten down left and right well that's kind of what life is and some of us are beaten down more than others but all of us listen all of us have a fry pan of our faith has got to get bigger. This series is designed to do that. Well, how can El Shaddai, the name of God that he has revealed, how can it give us a bigger fry pan of faith? Well, number one, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the, the wonder of his name, El Shaddai, and we're going to see the power of his name. And I'm going to slow down when we get to the power. The first part, like I did last week, I'm going to give you some backdrop on the name El Shaddai. You're going to be tempted to kind of take a little bit of a siesta, take a break, you'll come back in on the good stuff. Well, this is the good stuff. If you don't get the wonder of his name, you don't you're not going to get the power of his name. So let's really hang together and let's look at the wonder of the name El Shaddai, typically translated as God Almighty. But as you dig a little bit deeper, now this is going to freak a few of you out. As you dig a little bit deeper into the word El Shaddai, what you find is the root word of Shaddai being Shad. Now, oh my goodness, this is getting scholastic, academic, I'm bored already. Come on, we can do this. Shad is something that's going to give a different meaning than Almighty God. In fact, 24 times in the Bible, Old Testament... The Hebrew root word Shad is translated, ready? This is the freaky part, as breast. It's a symbol of nourishment and supply. So Shad forms the basis of El Shaddai. El is God, mighty God. It's over 200 times in the Bible. El means God. Shaddai, the root word, is nourishment and supply. So when a woman nurses her baby... She is supplying what that baby needs to live and to be healthy. Well, here we go. Let's bring that into the name because that's meant to be imported into this name of El Shaddai. It's a name that God has given to us in order for us to see that he is mighty. That's El. He is a mighty God able to nourish, to supply, and pour out all his blessings in our lives. Now you're at El Shaddai. I'm going to dig it a little bit deeper. It is God as El, remember El, who powerfully helps his people. And it's God as Shaddai who abundantly pours out from himself blessings and all good things. One of the most complicated books that you probably could ever read when it comes to theology is a guy named Louis Burkhoff's book on systematic theology. Let me read to you, though. This little excerpt on El Shaddai, right? Now hang in there, it's not complicated. It's got a really great meaning in the end. He says this, he writes this, whereas God as El Shaddai, ready, mighty God El, God who nourishes and pours out blessings, Shaddai. Ready? Here we go. He it is in he is indeed presented as the all-powerful one who overpowers nature. The name, where it occurs in the Bible, does not present God as an object of fear or terror, now listen, but rather as a source of blessing and comfort. So when you hear the name El Shaddai, immediately what's got to come to your mind is we have got a God who is powerful, a God who can bring all (laughs) blessings to us, which pour out from him because he's got a nature... That wants to nourish and supply for his people. Now, how do you get this into your life? We're going to get this when we get to the power of God's name, but let's get a little head start on it. You going through life right now where you just feel like God has turned off the valve of his blessings? You going through life where it just seems like trial after trial and you don't know if you're going to make it, your faith is starting to peter out, it's kind of ebbing away. Or you've got things coming up, challenges in your life, and you see no way that you're going to meet and rise above those challenges. Well, you need to know your El Shaddai, your mighty God who pours out blessings upon you. Why? Because he cares and nourishes for you. You're his people. See, El Shaddai is God able to save, to do his will, to shed his blessings upon his people. Now, remember last week, if you were here, Adonai... We saw the lordship of God. Adonai means the lordship of God. He's the owner of all creation. He promises to supply all that you ever going to need to do all he's going to ask you to do. He's the master. We're his servant. He gives you a command. And he says, hey, you don't need to do it on your own power. This is my name. I'm Adonai. I'm going to give you everything you need to do all that I'm going to ask you to do. So that was Adonai. Now listen. You've got to get this slight difference in El Shaddai. I. Because in El Shaddai we see the mighty God of inexhaustible riches. Who loves to pour out his blessings upon his people. He loves to nurture and strengthen our faith. Because why? You're walking like I am in the wasteland of this world. And your faith is going to go from spring to spring like Psalm 84 says. And in between those springs are going to come some dry, arid times. And you're going to wonder, will I make it to the next spring? Will my faith emerge? Well, El Shaddai helps you get to the spring. And that's who we're going to see as we begin to look in Genesis 17. Before we do that, let me show you what Genesis 49 says. In verse 25, the God of your father will help you by the almighty, that's Shaddai, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb that means children, This is the God who loves to bless. That's the name, El Shaddai. And this is what we're about to see when we first encounter the very very first time that El Shaddai occurs in the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 17. Let's get in the uh, Bibles. We're going to look now at the power of God's name. That was all background. If you don't get the wonder of his name, well, the power of his name is not going to be very transformative. So the power of his name. Let's all be in Genesis 17 If you uh, did bring your Bible Then there might be one in the pew It's in the very first book of the Bible Or maybe just lean over and read with somebody else But look at what Genesis 17 Verses 1 and 2 say When Abram was 99 years old And they lived a little older At that time of, of human history But when Abram was 99 years old The Lord appeared to Abram And said to him I am God Almighty That's El Shaddai So look at me for a moment When you read your Bibles, you're not going to see in English the name El Shaddai. What you will see in the Old Testament is Almighty, that's Shaddai, or God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. El is God. Shaddai is Almighty, God who loves to pour out blessings and nurture. So I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you Greatly, this is the first time this name ever occurs in the Bible. God is showing us something. He's going to show us three things. Number one is this: God is the promise keeper because God is the promise maker. So God is the promise maker, and He's the promise keeper. Let's get that right into our minds. Just drive it in there like an anchor pin. God is the promise maker. He loves to make promises. Except unlike, off, oftentimes, unlike us, God is always going to keep the promises he makes. Now, now look at me for just a moment, because you've got to get this. I want to sear this into your soul. God has never made a promise that he has not kept. Right. Never. In fact, the Bible says that all of God's promises find their amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the amen, meaning so be it. I will guarantee my Father's promises. It's my power to be the guarantee. God has never made a promise that he's never kept. Or he makes promises that he always keeps. So God is the promise maker and the promise keeper. Alright, so let's flip back because you've got to start in chapter 12 now. We're going to trail this through and you're going to see... Let me give you a warning. You're going to see a man of God who is so famous in the Bible, Abram, who becomes Abraham. You're going to see his faith struggling from spring to spring and what God is going to do as El Shaddai. It starts at verse or chapter 12. Look at verse 1. You remember this. God gives a promise to Abram. He says, go to the land that I will show you. And now look at the promise. And I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. It's a traditional covenant. Look at verse 3. All God's covenants, all ancient covenants, had blessings and cursings. Here's the blessings if you uphold the agreement or the covenant. Here's the cursings if you don't. So God's a covenant God. We're his covenant people. So God is making a covenant with Abraham. With Abram. And he includes verse 3, blessings and, and cursings. But look at chapter 11, verse 30. There's a problem here. Now Sarai, she's going to become Sarah. Sarai was barren. She had no children. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 12. I will make of you a great nation. Well, Abram, I'm going to make a great nation come from you, but there's a problem. Your wife can't have children. Well, look at verse 7. When Abram arrives in Canaan, that's the land that God said I'm going to show you. He arrives in Canaan. That's going to be the promised land that Israelites will settle into. (coughs) When they leave Egypt, God repeats the promise. He's telling him this is the land, verse 7, this is the land that your offspring is going to receive from me. He keeps reiterating this promise. I know your wife's barren, but I'm making you a promise, Abraham. There's going to be a great nation coming from you. Well, look at chapter 13. Remember, spring to spring, his faith is going to struggle. Chapter 13, verse 14, some time is going to pass. This childless couple is aging, Abram and Sarai, and God again reminds Abram of the promise. Verse 14, lift up your eyes and look for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Now, let's stop for a second because it's so easy for me and it's so easy for you to read the Bible without it really interfacing real life. Let's put you and I in the shoes of Abram and Sarai. God tells you, listen, you're 75. You're 75 years old when God first tells Abram, I know you can't have children. I I know Sarai is barren. But I'm telling you, I'm going to make a a promise with you, Abram. There's going to be a great nation coming from you. Can you imagine wives, mothers, ladies? Can you imagine the hope that kindles again in you? You're 74 probably. I think Sarai was just a little bit younger than Abram. But you're right up there, and all of a sudden... What you had abandoned, that dream of having children that's wired into almost every woman, that dream is you kind of gave up on it. You gave up hope that you'll ever have children. And then all of a sudden, God comes to Abram, your husband, and says, Abram, you're going to have a multitude of offspring. Number the dust. You can't even number the dust on the ground of the land of Canaan. That's going to be like the offspring I'm going to bring. few verses later look at chapter 15 verse 13 actually let's go to verse 5 two chapters later more time's going to pass again and god again renews his covenant his promise with abram look at verse 5 look toward heaven it's not look down anymore now it's look up he's moving his eyes he number the stars if you're able to number them that's a little sarcasm from god by the way so shall your offspring be You know what God's doing? Abram, will your faith endure the test of time between the promise given and the promise fulfilled? Now, friends, listen. Henry Blackaby, and I agree with him, says that God is always speaking. We just don't always hear him. God is a promise giving God, He loves to make promises. And some of us, perhaps years ago, well, we might have heard a call from God into ministry. We might have heard a call from God into a career. You might have heard a, God, a call from God into a marriage and into raising children. Or it could be a number of things. And yet, still, that's not happening. Still, years have passed and nothing's come about and you're starting to wonder. Or maybe you, you've already given up on the hope of this. Maybe you've abandoned that dream. But like Abram, will your faith endure between the time of the promise given and the time of the promise fulfilled? Because El Shaddai will rekindle that faith. Well, let's see how he's going to do it. A few verses later, look at verse 13, chapter 15. Again, he's strengthening Abram's faith. Why does he keep telling him? Why does he keep telling this childless man that your offsprings, like the dust and the stars, or verse 13, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. He's talking about Egypt and talking about wandering through the wilderness and getting to the promised land. But again, he keeps mentioning about this offspring and nothing's happening. They're in between the time of the promise given and the time of the promise fulfilled, and we're going to see if his faith can endure. Look at chapter 17, our text. Twenty-four years has passed. Let me ask you something. You ever endured for 24 years between a promise given and a promise fulfilled? If you have, you understand the extraordinary difficulty that Abram and Sarai are experiencing. 24 years. It was 75 years old when Abram heard God promise an offspring, a multitude of nations. This is 24 years later, still no children. Abram is 99. Sarai is old. She has no child. And God comes to Abram saying this. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Abram, I know my promises seem to have failed you. Look at verse 2. But walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. What he's saying is this Abram, I haven't forgotten my promise. In the age of your body, and the age of your wife's, they are not hindrances to my power. L is God Almighty. In fact, they are opportunities for my glory. Have you ever looked at trials as opportunities for God's glory? That's really what they are. Because you've got Satan who loves to... Test us, like he did to Job. And the only purpose that Satan had was to prove to God that Job's faith will fail. But you can flip that coin to an almost near or an exactly opposite trajectory because you've got God who says, you know what, I'm going to bring a trial in your life because I'm going to prove to you that I can sustain your faith you got Satan who wants to prove that your faith will fail. And God who wants to prove to you and others around you that your faith is real and it will persevere because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. I'm forgotten, Abram. I know it's been 24 years. I know the pain in Sarai's heart. As everybody around her is having babies... Except for her But trust me And I will pour out my blessings upon you For that's my name Then God puts a deposit Down on this promise Look what he does He changes Abram's name to Abraham Now you might be asking Well how is that putting a deposit Well Abram The name Abram means exalted father But Abraham Means father of a multitude so God himself changes Abram's name from exalted father to father of a multitude in order to underscore and guarantee the promise that he made 24 years earlier. It will soon be a promise fulfilled. See, El Shaddai is the promise maker. And no matter what twists life makes, he is the promise keeper. He's never made a promise that he will not keep. So Christian, is there a calling that you've received from God? Have you received a promise from God at one time? A time is passing and your your hope is ebbing away. Do you feel that God's blessings... For you have dried up and given out. Listen, you've got to open your eyes to the name of El Shaddai. Look through that window and see the nature of the mighty God whose promises he always fulfills. He is a nurturer and a sustainer. You know what? Almost always, when I start to work people through the distance between the time between the promise given and the promise fulfilled... Listen, almost always I can start to show that God's been renewing that promise. You're just not seeing it. There's markers along the way. He's showing you, wait. Don't give up. Because I've never made a promise that I haven't fulfilled. See, in Adonai, last week, we saw that God will give you all you need to do all that he commands you to do. But in El Shaddai, we see the fountainhead of those riches, the all-sufficient God who, according to Ephesians 3, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work with us. It's the mighty power of El that will do all that we, beyond what we could possibly think or ask. I think if you're thinking of prosperity theology, well, you don't know El Shaddai because he's not ever made a promise that he's going to give you a lot of money. Because a lot of money doesn't really do it for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Listen, if he's giving you money, it's only because he's going to reach into that, that hand of yours, divert it to people who are in need. That's it. You're a shareholder, meaning that he's given you the money so that you can share it when he tells you to. That's Adonai. El Shaddai is, I'm the one that pours out blessings, so I'm going to reach in there, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to divert it, and that's going to be a blessing to that person because they don't know how they're going to pay their bills next week. And they're going to see El Shaddai working in my in their life their life and they're going to be expressed through you. That's the power of El Shaddai. That's what it means to be a shareholder, is that God gets to bless people through us. That's an amazing privilege. But Abram and Sarai were about to learn an absolutely crucial and critical truth. Point number two, God's promises can never be accomplished in our own strength. He's never made a promise that he's not going to fulfill, but those promises cannot be done in our power. You know, Proverbs tells us, and listen, I know a lot of your stories. Some of you know this better than I do. Hope deferred makes what? The heart sick. Man, when you hope for something, and years and years are going by, you can get sick at heart. I know people who are sick at heart. It's short-circuiting their faith. It's putting a root of bitterness into their faith. It always goes vertical to God, Psalm 73. And then it begins to spread out to other people, and you get sick at heart because hope between the promise given and the promise fulfilled is ebbing away. Friends, are you waiting on God for a job that you desperately need? Or a relationship that you have been so longing for? Or maybe a child to come back to the Lord who has strayed far, far away. Or that call to a career that you feel God clearly told you you were going to have years ago. See, it's in the waiting that our faith either ebbs or flows or surges. And it's in that time that El Shaddai is going to often make himself known to you. Now notice what waiting tends to do as we look back at Abram and Sarai. So God promised offspring. He promised a multitude of people. Now listen. You ever thought of this? But so far, he had not specifically mentioned it would come from Sarai. Now watch what happens. Listen to Sarai's heart, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife... Had borne him no children. They're in the time between the promise given and the promise fulfilled. And she said to Abram, Behold now the Lord, that's Yahweh, all capital letters, Yahweh has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. She had a servant named Hagar. She was an Egyptian. And what Sarai is saying is since the Lord is against me and he's not giving me my greatest joy, well, let's find Abram. Let's find another way to make sure the promise comes true. Let's bring this into our own hands and make a plan. And over and over in the Bible... You can see it in our own lives. When we begin to lose confidence and faith in God, here's what we do we will take life in our own hands and we create our plans. And never once in the Bible did that ever work. And incredibly, Abram, Abram this man of great strength and faith, look what it says. Look at the text. He listened, quote, he listened. To the voice of Sarai. You know what that means? The word listen in the Hebrew. It means to hear with the intention of obeying. So he is taking marching orders from his wife. He's given up. He's yielded. The leadership that God has called him to do. Listen, there's not one time in all the Bible. When a man has yielded the responsibility that God has given to lead his family. That it ever worked well in their lives. Not once. Well, he does it. He goes to Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarai, and he conceives a baby with her. And there is not a good ending to this. Remember Adam? Remember Adam was right there when Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Adam did lead her out of that temptation. He was silent. He went into silent, man-typical mode. When men don't know what to do, we go silent. There's not a blueprint, Larry Crabb says, in front of us. We don't know what to do. We tend to be paralyzed. Labor? Adam, rather. He should have known what to do. He's the one who received the command from God not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But the disaster with Adam... Not leading his wife out of that temptation. Listen, all of us, all of human race now inherits a sin nature. Because God's promises can never be accomplished in our power, for our plans are going to lead to disaster. Listen, when the promises of God are delayed, now here, here we are, ready? Right? Between the time, between the promise given and the promise fulfilled, when it's delayed, the desires in us naturally increase. They don't decrease. They increase. And the temptation to take life into our own hands becomes almost nearly irresistible. But when we do, those plans lead to disaster. Look at verse 3 of chapter 16. Here's the end result. Well, here's the result, rather. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, she conceived... And Now watch this. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. She's in your power. She's your servant. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Here we go. You ready? Hagar is mad at Sarai. Sarai is mad at Hagar, and now he's, she's mad at Abram. And Abram says, listen, this is your mess. You deal with it. Don't even bother me with it anymore. Disaster. And this great disaster was that this child born of an illegitimate promise. Listen, you better hear this. He would father Ishmael would. The Arabs. And the Arabs to this day are living in perpetual conflict with God's people. They all came from Ishmael. And they all came from this illegitimate union that Abram had with Sarai's servant. All because the time of the promise and the time of his fulfillment leached away their faith. And they took matters in their own hands. Disastrous. Friends, has God called you to something that right now you cannot see it ever being fulfilled? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you've been praying for years and years for your marriage to finally be a marriage of peace and joy and satisfaction. And still, year after year, you know God called you to this marriage. You know he walked you down that aisle. You know he gave you away. You know he covenanted you together still to this day, it's a marriage that is troubled. Well, I can tell you, friends, God has been reiterating his call, reconfirming it to you, helping your faith endure, helping you get to spring, to spring. But when the temptation comes to take life into your hands, he's going to help you know him as El Shaddai, your mighty, sufficient supplier of all good things. But there's one more point. And this one is so important. God has abundant resources to supply all of our needs. All right, you got Ishmael, remember? Abram and Hagar produced Ishmael, father of Arabs. It's been 11 years since he was born. Or uh, rather, it's been 11 years since God promised a nation from Abram. And that seems like an eternity. 11 years between the promise given and the promise fulfilled is like an eternity when your heart is so full of desires... But incredibly, 13 more years go by when we get to chapter 17, our passage. Look at verse 13, chapter 17, verse 13. 24 years has gone by. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Do you see what God has done? It's the first time he's been that specific. He said, A great multitude's going to come from you. Look down, look up. You're going to see in the numbers. They didn't believe it. They took life into their own hands, produced a disaster. So here comes the mighty, sufficient supplier of all good things coming and now changing. Sarai's name to Sarah, and saying specifically, Oh, Abram, Abraham, this multitude's coming from you and her together, not you and Hagar. Now, watch our great hero, Abraham's response in verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? That's Abraham, who we know is a man of faith. In a tie between the promise given and the promise fulfilled, where his faith was hanging on by a fingernail. And man, listen, it's bad enough that he laughed at God, but to bring up the age of your wife, not good. Don't do it. And Sarah, she didn't respond any better. She heard the Lord say in the tent that her husband was about to have a child with her. And look at verse 10 of chapter 18. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's in menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself. She's laughing. Abraham's laughing. They tried their ultimate plan, it led to disaster. But they can't quite believe. In fact, look at chapter 17 again, our passage, look at verse 18. Abraham won't give up on this whole Hagar-Ishmael plan. He said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And what he's saying is, There's no way, God. There is no way now that the promise could be fulfilled. We're too old, you can't do it. Just let it work with Ishmael. Lord, we found another way. Just use that one. Because your way is simply not possible. But the promise-making God is the promise-keeping God. And he replies, no, no, Abraham. Abraham. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. You know, Paul prays this prayer for us. In Ephesians 1, he prays that the eyes of your hearts, our hearts, might be enlightened. That we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that's Shaddai, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, that is El, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that's the El Shaddai. And Paul says you've got to get your eyes open to it Because you're not going to see El Shaddai with your natural eyes Those are eyes that God must open And he will open them between the time of the promise given And the promise fulfilled And often when your faith is just about out And how do we experience that? How do we experience the power of El Shaddai in our lives? Well, the psalmist tells us In Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow, here's El Shaddai, of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, that's Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. There's four names for God in that passage. Amazing, isn't it? You've got Yahweh, you've got Elohim, you've got El Shaddai, you've got Most High, which we're going to see in future sermons. Listen, do you see the simple truth expressed in these verses? Do you want to experience, Christian brother and sister, the blessings of El Shaddai Well, the psalmist says? Then you've got to shelter in the Most High. You've got to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Well, how is that possible? How do you abide in El Shaddai? It's the greatest truth in all of The word of God Because the answer to that How do you abide In the shadow of El Shaddai Is answered in John chapter 15 By Jesus himself You ready? Here's what he says I am the vine You are the branches Whoever abides in me And I in him He it is that bears much fruit For, for apart from me You can do nothing And Jesus said the two verses later, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you're abiding in Christ, you're walking with him and he's giving you the desires of his heart, meaning God's desires are replacing your desires. Listen, you can ask God for anything because what you ask will come from the desires he's given you. And that's the power of El Shaddai. He's the mighty God who will pour out all of his blessings as you walk with him and your desires are his desires. You just met your El Shaddai in Christ. You want to know who he is? He's Jesus. He's fulfilled in Jesus. He's the spiritual water to the woman at the Samaritan well. He said to her, you drink of this water, you're never going to thirst again. Your soul will be quenched. Well, Jesus, the El Shaddai, is a bread from heaven. He's going to satisfy anybody that comes to him. You're not going to have an empty tank in your heart that leaks out the bottom anymore. If you're going to know God is El Shaddai, then you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Abide with Christ. Know Jesus. Obeying him in all things and enjoying that relationship and he will bring you, Christian brother and sister, from spring to spring, even when your faith is beginning to ebb, he will renew it. Listen, as we draw to a close, and I'm almost done, let's go back one more time to Abraham and Sarah. Their names are changed. It's been 25 years. Can you imagine this in your life? 25 years between the promise given and finally the promise fulfilled and the child is born to the couple whose body from Sarah no longer can even bear children. El said this is going to happen. El, Shaddai, will make it happen. And his name is Isaac. Now get this. How ironic... That this name means laughter. I mean, the couple who laughed at the promise that God made meets El Shaddai and the mighty God of blessings turns their mourning into laughter, their disbelief into a fountain of joy. This is the El Shaddai. This is the mighty God who pours out his blessings on his people and brings us from spring to spring. Till the day you will stand before Jesus Christ in glory. How fitting it is that we end then with this benediction. A tribute to El Shaddai. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be the glory of in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Christian brother and sister, that's your El Shaddai. The mighty God who loves to pour out blessings and will bring you from spring to spring until you stand before Him in glory. Amen. 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 Let's pray.